Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And we are so excited to have on the air two of our Bay Area resident scholars and activists who are going to give us some more opportunities to be able to um, make good choices. And so I want to introduce, um, again, to our, our listeners, uh, she is no stranger to our show, um, Dr. Patricia Nunley, who is a teacher educator who entered the field out of love and concern for black people and especially black children. She holds a specialized master's in child development and an EDD. She views herself as a traditional African healer who uses the medicine of education to fight against the disease of ignorance. So again, um, welcome Dr. Nunley to the air. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And we are also really excited to have um, Dr. Lawford L. Goddard t- today to join us as well. He is a sociologist and demographer who received his doctoral degree from Stanford University with a minor in education. Born in Trinidad, Dr. Goddard is an expert on black family dynamics, black culture, youth development programs, substance abuse and HIV AIDS education and prevention. He has over 40 years experience as a trainer, educator in the areas of health education, substance abuse prevention, HIV prevention, mental health service delivery, youth motivation, and self-destructive behavior. He is a, he was a member of the Strategic Planning Workgroup and Data an, an Analyst for the California Reducing Disparity Project, African American Population Report, and a member of the C-A-L-M-H-S-A, Stigma and Discrimination Reduction Program for NAMI, California. What does C-A-L-M-H-S-A, Stigma, what does that 
that acronym stands for? California Mental Health um, Mental Health Services Act. Okay. Oh, when was that? This is part of the um, the millionaire tax, and it it was a study commissioned okay. for NAMI to look at their services and how they were serving um, their population. Okay. Yeah, but when was it? When did it happen? When when you were you oh, serving that, on that? I was in that um, project in this is what twenty twenty. So I would say mm-hmm. about um, fourteen. 2013 to 2015. Okay, nice, nice. And and you are currently the secretary of the African American Steering Committee for Health and Wellness in Alameda County, uh, where I'm also yes. a member, and we just really, really love your leadership. And you have served on the board of the Association of Black Psychologists um, for the past 10 years as the National Convention Committee Chair. And you uh, are a founder of the Institute for the Advanced Study of Black Family Life and Culture in Oakland, and that's where I met you many years ago. Mm-hmm. And you are a lecturer yeah. emeritus in the Department of Africana Studies at uh, San Francisco State University. And you are a co-author of four books, and you have 24 book chapters and journal articles. Are you working on anything now? Like yeah, I have two. I have one book that I'm working on and one article. So I'm trying to get. Um, I have a June, uh, June thirtieth deadline for the article, and mm-hmm. I've been working on this book for several years now. But I think it's time for me to finish it and say it's oh. over. Right. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I should finish. Oh, okay. I should finish it by the end of the year. That's oh, my time. Awesome. Is it is it about your life? No, it's about um culture, um cultural um cultural scripting and revolutionary thought. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really compelling. Right. Well, and that's to... about all I want to say at this point because there are so many <laughs> things that are going on and so many um focus that I have for this that I don't want to go further into it. Because I've mm-hmm. been changing the focus, the title, and the concentration for the past year or so. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. now I've come. I think I have a final, definite last statement, which might change tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you have to definitely <laughs> join us again to talk about it once it's on its way to your editor or to the publisher. Um, yeah, and in the meantime, the article that's coming out this coming month, June, where is that going to be published, and what's what's that article about? Hello? Yeah, I asked you um, where the uh, article is going to be published and what's it about. Um, hopefully it will be in the Journal of Black Psychology. There's a special... Mm-hmm. Edition on Black Suicide. Right? Oh. So I'm writing something on that. And so the original deadline was June 1st. And I think because of COVID, that it pushed back the submission deadline. 
but we haven't received formal notification as to when the new deadline will be, but I know that it's not it, it's no longer June first. So I'm giving myself okay. until June thirtieth to finish it. Okay. Oh that's gonna that's really important. Um yeah. Yeah, black people commit suicide and particularly uh, yes. young people. Oh wow, wow, that's gonna be really, really useful. Okay, well I have to keep my eyes out for that um that journal. Definitely. Maybe we can have a, a show looking at the topic because um, I know we've uh, we've had shows looking at the topic of depression in black women. Um, mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, there are so many webinars. Oh my goodness. We. Oh goodness gracious. Like, how do we sort through all of this information? And um, and you have one coming up. Um, the Association of Black Psychologists are presenting. So beautiful. I love this t- title. Black by Design 2, a Diasporian Experience, Physically Distanced but Spiritually Connected. And that's next Friday, June 5th, from 1 to 3.30 uh, Pacific Time, p.m., and then from 4 to 6.30 Eastern Time. So so tell us about about this, um, this webinar that's coming up um, that's organized by uh, you, Dr. Nunley, and the Bay Area ABCI chapter. You're the ABCI chapter, um, <laughs> um, oh, the ABCI chapter, and and you're also the outreach coordinator, I think. And then uh, the co-hosts um, are you, Dr. Uh, Goddard, and you are the mm. Bay Area ABCI chapter elder. And then um, yes. you're going to also have as a um, co-host Dr. Ife Tayo M. Flannery, who is the Bay Area ABCI chapter vice president. And you have like all these people that are going to be presenting from all around the world. It's going to be so exciting. So tell us about this uh, webinar and the topic and the presenters. Doctor Nelly, one more time. This is as mm-hmm. oh, as, as noted, um, it, it is um, the second. So mm-hmm. black by design. Um, I, I. I came up with this concept, and then Baba Goddard, uh, when I say Baba G, I'm referring to, to uh, Dr. Goddard, so I just call him Baba G, so everybody's clear about <laughs> who Baba G is. So, uh, and, and so um, we noticed that, uh, I noticed that everyone was doing all these webinars with panels of experts, and I wanted to do something different, as opposed to, as you, as, um, as you mentioned earlier, I am an educator, so I am not a clinical psychologist or um, I teach in child development. I teach human development, so I do teach some psychology classes, but just very, the ones that are very minimal, so lower division. And so I wanted, instead of a panel of experts talking about the pandemic and how horrible it is, and yes, indeed, it is horrible, I wanted to do instead a celebration of our blackness and um, how your identity is a protective factor against COVID and against all the other risk factors that continue to exist for us. Um, So I I said, let's do something different. Let's celebrate that. And Baba G came up with Black by Design. And so that's why that was our title, it's Black by Design. The first one was with USA 
black people in South Africa. And with that one, we focused on faith and family. And so this actually is the second. So if you want to go back and see the first one, um, it is available on the Association of Black Psychologists, the national website. You go under videos, and it's under faith and family. So that was our first one. This is our second one. So that's why it says black by design, too. This time, Baba G said, hey, Patricia, instead of us doing, um, let's do the diaspora. Let's not do the continent, but all the folks in the diaspora that are from the continent. So that's how we came up with this one. And then I thought, hey, so we are physically separated but spiritually connected. So all of these theories are about how there is wellness in knowing who you are, connecting to you, to, your, to self and wholeness. And so that's how we came up with this next one. And we do have another one planned. We're not going to talk about that yet. But so, mm-hmm. that, that, so, I, so that's all I'll say there. And then I'll let Baba, Baba G explain. I think, did, did you have any questions, um, Wanda? So that's basically what it's about. Um, no, so far. Um, no, I don't have any more questions. But maybe you could uh, tell people okay. uh, where how they how they can participate and listen and ask questions and things like that. So the Zoom okay. con- it, so, it's so, Zoom. Go ahead, Patricia. No, I was just going to say then then I then I'll, I'll step back and let Baba G. So it by design. It, it, is, it wasn't designed to be a panel of experts, and we tell you what to do, and then mm-hmm. you ask us questions. Instead, we were going to model for you and show you what we're doing. And so you, you can watch it live on Facebook, but it's not just set up where you're like, oh, what about this, that, and the other? That's not how we designed it. We just wanted to kind of like, like um, edutainment or how we, we're showing you. This is how we live our lives. And this is how it makes us whole. And and then so you can't, there is a chat where you can talk in the chat, but if you were to say, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? It's not designed that way. I don't, that's the best way I can explain it. And I'll let Baba G now step in. Go ahead, Baba. Okay. Yes, yeah, so as um, Dr. Nunley said, this really is uh, intended to be, um, a sharing of things that folks are doing to demonstrate wellness and health in the black community. And so folks are going to be talking about black love, what is black love, how it manifests itself, what are the ex- um, experiences of black love. Um, you also want to talk about the joy and pain of blackness because with the COVID um, experience and those members who have experienced a family loss. Myself, I have lost my brother in in New York um, in April to COVID. And so the question is, how do we, um, how does this pandemic affect the transition of a lost one, of a loved one? And how do we recreate it with shelter in place, the traditional funerary processes that are part of our experience? Um, so we're going to deal with that aspect because a lot of um, families have lost loved ones and have not been able to establish closure. Um, 
through the normal practices. So that becomes part of the pain that we're experiencing as part of this um, COVID. But then on the flip side, you have to look at the joy of blackness, and the joy of blackness centers around um, black love, um, how we express and manifest our love for each other during this time and all time, because love has been the central focus that has kept the black community together. Um, our brilliance, our brilliance is expressed in a multitude of ways that we do not see. Um, we do not see in the national news media. The national news media always covers evidence of um, tragedy, trauma, dysfunctioning in the black community. But the brilliance of our children and of our community is hardly shown. And so we have to talk about how we express our brilliance through excellence, particularly in the scientific field. And so we'll have some young people talking about their experiences um, in the scientific, scientific field. And then we want to talk about our artists. How do our artists demonstrate our brilliance? And also the beauty salon has been a place of health and healing for black women and for black men. The barbershop is always the community um, mental health center. The beauty salon is our community mental health center. And so we'll have folks talking about, about that experience and talking about how the different ways of styling our hair represents a reflection of our brilliance. And then we want to talk about the, um, the celebration of wellness. What do we do to celebrate wellness? And so we have people from um, the Caribbean, Jamaica, Haiti, Bahamas, um, we have people from South America, Guyana, and from Brazil. We have people from um, Canada, and Guadalupe. we have people from black people from Canada. Thank you, <laughs> and African Americans. So we all sharing in this whole experience of the, of what celebration of life is, and how we use our own, um, how we connect with our spirits, how we use that connection to self-heal ourselves. Um, so that's in, in a gist what the focus of the webinar would be. Oh, well, it sounds really, really wonderful. I, I love the, uh, wow, the whole um, philosophy and, and context sounds like it's going to be really um, encouraging for everyone who attends. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, and the whole idea, the whole idea is that people leave this webinar not with facts and figures, but with um, practices and things that they can actually try themselves uh, in their lived space and their lived experience. So it's, again, the community coming together to heal itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great. That's and, really um, great. and Wanda, yeah. by, by design, mm -hmm. too, it's not just doctors. It's not just professionals. I mean, it's a mixture. It's also just everyday folks that, um, mm -hmm. that are involved in this, too. Because, as you know, um, 
what the, the percentage of, of us as a people that are actually have the doctorate degrees, et cetera, is very small. And so we don't want to be, like in our last one, we had uh, Dr. Zetu. Dr. Zetu is from um, South Africa. And as I said, the first one, Black by Design 1, it was the USA and South Africa. And Dr. Zetu, she did this piece around listening. Because what she said, we have to be very, very careful. This is an experience, a unique experience for African people. But we cannot act like we are the experts and we know everything. We need to sit back and listen to the, to the majority of us who are experiencing this. So that's why another reason it's like, no, 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 we don't want to say we're the experts. We're just saying we're living this experience with you as well. But what we know, you know, what, what we have learned from living this experience, these are the things that we're doing. And, oh, yeah, oh, by the way, yeah, okay, I happen to be a doctor too. But that's not mm-hmm. the lead part. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit more about, about some of the people that you've pulled together here and, and how do you know them? Um, how, like, that's a lot of different spaces where we are, you know, in the diaspora. So how did you pull all that together? And tell us some of their, their names and their their expertise. Okay, so, so, so as you know, go we ahead, are, put we are your both uh, members of the Association. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know that we're, we're both members of the Association of Black Psychologists, and I am mm-hmm. the, right. um, the Western Region Rep, but I'm also a community organizer. But this is this okay. As an association, we are an international association, and so um, I met a lot of the people at ABCI. But I also travel a lot. I love to go. I mean, I love international travel. And Dr. Rachel Bayer, Bayer Cook, who used to be the president of the the local Bay Area Association of Black Psychologists, I met her there. But I didn't know our moms or friends. Anyway, we became like really, really sisters. It's like, oh my God. And so she and I, I've been to South Africa maybe like seven, eight times, right? And so one of the trips, she and I, um, we decided we're going to go on a search for traditional healers, right? Traditional African healers. So we went to London, Paris, um, South Africa, um, Botswana, and Zimbabwe. And so in that travel, and also being a member of ABCI, that's how I was able to meet the international folks. But also I have, there's some local people that I know, I mean, they do my hair. So that's how I know them. So, so that's how some of the people, um, and one, one of the girls, one of the college students, she is actually the granddaughter of one of my colleagues. So these are like real people that we know like on an intimate level also, not just like, oh, that's so-and-so. These are people that we know intimately. Okay, and I'll go ahead, Father G. Yeah, and during my um, tenure as the National Convention Chair of Black um, Psychologists, um, I was able to meet a whole host of people from throughout the whole world. And so... Based upon that, I was able to pull together a list of people from the Caribbean who've been ABCI members at various times, um, um, and then also um, ABCI members from Canada, and then 
in addition to that, folks who had reached out to me, not as a psychologist, but as a friend. Like, I had this friend of mine who said, I have this sister from Ghana who I want you to meet, and you can talk with her because she has some ideas about research. So I didn't know her. So, but when I met with her, met with her, we sat down and we talked for a long time, and so she will be one of the presenters talking about the work that she is doing in Guyana around the women's refugee camp, and this is a really important um, on the ground activity that is being done not by a, not by a court doctor, but by someone who has the lived experience of working in the community. So we have that, um, as we said, mix of professional and um, community folks that we have. Um, we have um, 10, seven confirmed international speakers, and then we have a couple that we are still waiting on for final confirmation. And so this is how we the network starts with a small group of folks from the black psychologists and over ten years, you know, we have had all of these conferences, annual conference, and every year we have at least two hundred um at least three hundred people come in for the conference and we have over a hundred presentations. So that's a lot of folks that we that I've met over the years and have maintained some sort of contact with. And most of most of these people uh would would be considered lifelong friends, not just uh, someone who presented at the conference. Because ABCI is really a family and that as we say um, once an ABCI member, always an ABCI member. Mm-hmm. Yes, right, like right. for example, when I go to South Africa, uh, people that I know, they pick me up from the airport and I stay in their home. And like, for mm-hmm. example, the Canadians that are that are um, going to be presented, Dr. Penny Cook, it's, um, so if I go there, I stay at her house, she can stay at my house. So there is, we really are family. And uh, one of the, the young ladies from Guadalupe, she was my former student, uh, Cindy. She's going to be presenting. And I remember Cindy, she, she has a French accent because of the colonization there. But Cindy was one of my students. And so when I actually, so she got married, she invited me to her wedding. When I was in South Africa, she gave birth to her child. The child was very, very low birth weight. I mean, she freaked out. And so we talked about black infant mortality. And I reminded her that, hey, guess what? When the g- black girls, they survive more than any other. She said, oh, Dr. Dunley, they told me that. I said, it's true. It's true. And so that's so, so the relationship with her just continued, you know, stronger and stronger. And she told me that, Dr. Nunley, I had to marry a black man because I must touch my father's black, my grandfather. And so she's going to be speaking. I don't want to see, see that we're trying. We want to ruin <laughs> the things that people are going to say. One of the other people, Mukulu, uh, he traveled with us to um, to South Africa because he needed to bring his wife ashes there. So, so yeah, so just we got this so rich. I'm just so excited. I, I'll go back to the the women's refugee camp. Um, that that falls under for me 
That's the beauty of black women. If you are a woman to survive a, a refugee camp, it just says something about us. I mean, that's so rich to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, really, I'm getting excited about what we're doing because yeah. it, it is going to be exciting. And one of, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go. Go ahead, Bobby G. No, I was, I was, going, I was just going to say go ahead, that Bob. we have to see if some of the um, prizes for the webinar. In terms of content oh, and stuff huh? like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I mean, so, how, so many, how many want, people... We can give you names. you want the names? Yeah, yeah, you can give us some names. And, uh, Would you yeah, like us totally. to do that? Yeah, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Latasha Mason and Keisha Mason... Bobby, I want to get everybody's names right. Um, are mm-hmm. doctors? Maybe you could tell us. Harris. Maybe you could tell us where where they are in the world, like in the diaspora. Okay. Do you have the you have the list up, Father? Yeah, I, 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 I can, can go get it because um, I'm doing it off my head. You got. I let him. I let him do it. Yeah. Let him do it because he can give you where, where their, their location. Okay. So we have. Go ahead, Bobby. Um, We have Dwayne Detterville. He's in Sacramento. He's a local artist. Um, we have um, Niambi Hall Campbell. She's in Bahamas right now. She's living and working in Bahamas. Um, Cindy is from Guadeloupe. Um, Art and Nerissa Harris. This is a young couple that came to ABCI, um in 20, um, 2018 conference we had here in Oakland. And they they were just married, and they have been a, a mainstay of the Barrier chapter now, and they are both um, psychologists w- working in Richmond, and they have a beautiful young um, baby girl. So that's a very important because what it is showing is that folks are making connection with ABCI and convention, and then staying on as part of ABCI. Um, Patricia, um, Dr. Nunley's first experience of ABCI was in 2008 when we had our 40th annual convention here in Oakland. And since then, she has been part of, of the ABCI. Um, so that's piece of it. Um, so Ariel and Kyla are both graduate students in engineering, and they're working on their um, doctoral degrees and they are in, I think, I'm not sure what part of the USA that they are. Um, Latasha Denver and Misha. Where's MIT? I can't. Um, MIT is in um, in um, Massachusetts. Yeah. And then um, Latasha and Misha. They're here in, in Oakland. Oakland. And then we have Sonia Mills and Natasha Pennycook from Canada, and Sharina Edinburgh, also from Canada. And then we have Ingrid Goodman from Guyana. Um, Marcia Sutherland, um, Dr. Sutherland is Jamaica by heritage, but she's in New York. And Baina Bello is from Haiti. I think she's in, she's located in Haiti. Um, Patricia, I think so, yes. 
And then Roberta Frederico. Mm-hmm. She's Haiti. She's a Haiti. Yeah. Roberta Frederico is from Brazil. And so, and then we have some folks from um, St. Vincent and St. Lucia um, that we're waiting to get response from. And also one other person from Guyana and one other person from Jamaica. So we tend to get um, confirmation from those four folks. So that's that's where we are. As I said, it's a broad cross-section of um, participants in the webinar, and it covers a whole range of skill set, knowledge, and experience. And based upon the initial um, part one of this Black by Design um, webinar series, this promises to be a stellar, excellent um, presentation, and we anticipate we get a good attendance and try and share some strategies that people can use again, their sense of wellness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds like it's really awesome. On Black by Design 1, um, our views were at 2.9, I think. Um, so about about oh, three thousand people nice. um, viewed, nice. uh, viewed uh, in the Black by Design one, mm-hmm. and now the reason we don't have the UK, um, we were going to include them because they are part of the diaspora. There's lots of African folks there, but they actually right. put one to you know they actually put one together coming up this this Friday. But they would have right, been a yes. part of it also, and so yeah, yeah. Oh, so they and have so one this, this Friday. This, and today, Dr. Penny Cook. She, uh, this Friday, but it's UK only, so it's only going to be the oh. UK, and so otherwise they would have been a part of it too, because because as I said, Baba G said this time, let's make this the diaspora, and not mm-hmm. any of um of, of the motherland, because the first one was mm-hmm. just the USA and South Africa, mm-hmm. and our third yeah. one right. will be global again. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so could I? Um, I'm not sure what our time frame is, but could I put in a plug for the Beria chapter of ABCI? Of course. Say that um, they, 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 this or the National Association of Black Psychologists is now 52 years old, and so it mm-hmm. was founded in 1968 in San Francisco. So every 10 years, we come back to the Bay Area to celebrate. So we had our 40th or 50th, and we'll, we'll be back in the Bay Area for our 60th um, anniversary. But the Bay Area chapter has been in the forefront of creating innovative programs that we implement in the Bay Area. In, in the Bay Area. And we have an exciting program right now where we're doing a pilot testing of a therapist in residency program. And it's a, it is a pilot program that brings together um, interns working under the supervision of black clinicians in terms of getting their hours for certification and licensing. And this program is being run by um, Dr. Tony Jackson, our president, and Dr. Sandra Smith, who is the co-supervisor of that program. And folks, if they need information, they can always go to our website, Barrier Black Psychologist, 
dot dot com, or they can send us a mail an email to b a a b p s i at gmail dot com. And so, just a shout out. We know that in this time of this pandemic, lots of people, and particularly black people, are experiencing an extraordinary amount of stress, depression, anxiety, uncertainty. And if you need someone to talk to, reach out to us because we are there and we are available to provide some sort of healing or some sort of activity that will involve healing on your part. So that's my plug. Thank you. Oh, that's great. So could you give the the contact information again for the Bay Area um, uh, chapter of of the uh, ABCI? So B A. A B P S I at mm-hmm. gmail dot com. Okay. And um is there um is and there the a website reason, as um, well? I, I, uh, yes, the website um it's www.bbaa.org. dot um B A B A A B P S I dot com. Okay. Dr. Nunley, you were going to say something. The reason why, you, why the reason this, yeah, the reason. Okay, the reason I'm, I'm very excited about that the therapist in residence program too, because as I said earlier, I am an educator, and my medicine is education, particularly um, against the, uh, the 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 fact that we don't know who we are. But what's very important mm-hmm. about this, this yeah. program is this. Okay. Many times, say you go to school and you want to become a psychologist. Right. And and become and when you go and you want to become a psychologist, then you you have to you need to sit under the supervision of someone who's already practicing. And do you know how hard it is? Do you know how hard it is? I'm going to say it a third time. Do you know how hard it is for a black student to sit under a black professional and to learn how to do things the African way, our way? That is so hard. For me, I was educated in a PWI, a predominantly white institution. And so I had to, so I got my formal degree there, but I had to learn and sit at the feet of the Babas, like Baba Baba G, Baba Goddard, uh, Dr. Wade Nobles, Naeem Akbar, Dr. Linda James Myers. um, There were so many. I had to learn the African stuff that somewhere inside, I knew something was wrong with the Western stuff. And so they have helped me on this journey to, not, to to understand all of my African self and the power that that has. Imagine a program where you don't have to, you get to, you don't have to grapple by yourself. It's like, oh, we've done this already. As a matter of fact, they even, they, they don't even call themselves doctors. It's in gangas. It's, it's just a beautiful program. And I, I just get very excited about it. Um, yeah, anyway, that's that. I just I just needed to say that, Baba G. Did you want to say more about that? Because that's just so exciting for me. No, no I think um, um, you caught it all. And um, one day I want you to recognize the passion with which um, Doctor Nunley speaks, because once you discover self, one becomes passionate about it, and that's part of the healing, because the healing. Reveals yep. itself in the passion with which one carries the message to others to inspire them also 
to heal themselves by finding self. So it's like the um, the old way of saying things, the Sankofa going back and fetch what was yours to use in the present time. Mm-hmm. Right. And what yeah. better way to see it than to watch in this June 5th celebration? You see us doing that. I mean, we hurt. There's things that happen to us, but we're still African. And at the end of the day, our ancestors will help us survive. And that's what the June 5th, the black, that's what the whole series, Black by Design, is about. You are African by design, and there is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. It gives you this supernatural power that they call Ngolo, and it is a self-healing power. It's like when your spirit is right, it's like you can count that. COVID, you you get it, okay, whatever. You can survive it. And, and so, and, and even if you physically don't survive it, you can spiritually survive it. You're just going back to your ancestors. It's all good. But when you have that type of mindset, that is so different. Fear is a horrible, fear causes stress. Stress, and we know stress is harmful and horrible. So, I mean, I can go on and on, but I'll just be quiet. But it's like, this is about joy. Joy, joy, joy. Joy is medicine. It's he- is healing. It's what we need in the midst of all of this pain, but we still can have joy. Right, right. I was wondering, um, you know, um, as we bring this, this conversation to a close, I want to know if each of you could could share, um, you know, sort of one of those practices or or stories um, or memories that you reach back to, you know, now that things are just so okay. uh, different. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, a friend of mine told me that her mother passed and they haven't been able to have a, a service for her. Um, right. And a lot of people have, have lost family, not necessarily to, to COVID-19, but that's happening as well. Um, but some people, you know, they were already making their transition, and and then and then this this disease happens, and then that means that you can't necessarily visit your loved one anymore because they they might be in hospice, or or maybe the elder is in um, uh, in a in a care facility. So. So there's not that physical closure oh. happening, um, which yeah. which is you know really um, important. Okay. So so and so. and then and then also I wanted to add to to your reflection. So you do that, and then also um, you specifically, um, Dr. Nunley, I wanted you to maybe uh, share some reflections on um, the Zulu shaman, um, Lusa Mazulu Credo uh, Mutwa, uh, maybe. You might, if you want to share something that he wrote or share a share a memory as well. So I've got two things for you. And then, Dr. Goddard, if you know him as well, please feel free. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to let uh, him do uh, Robert Crater-Mutua. Um, a, a, a couple of things um, came to mind is what you were talking about. So, okay, so you said that when a person transitions, um, that we no longer can physically see them and visit, et cetera. That is true, but we're not just physical people. 
We are also spirit beings. And as a spirit being, you're still connected. And so the Western way of thinking, which we've gotten very used to, we think physically, if you're not right there, then I'm no longer connected. Remember the theme in the June 5th thing is physically distant but spiritually connected. If we Mm -hmm. understood that we are spirit people, we would know, I don't need to see you to be connected to you. I'm always connected to you. And as African people, we also live in, in uh, not in, in, how do I explain it to my students? Um, I say it like this. We live in the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. So, there, so when we think that we only live in the present, it's more painful when somebody goes, to the past, uh, goes into in the past, but they're still there. They're, we're still connected to them, and that's the joy. Now, let me go for a minute because I'm African centered, but I'm also everybody knows I'm Christian too, right? And so, and for some people, that's like a real conflict. It's like, how the heck can you do that? So, but I, but it's possible. It's possible because that's the simplicity and the complexity of being African. We are a simple and a complex people. So let me speak from, if I'm speaking just as the Christian, the Bible says we mourn differently. So they're going home to be with Jesus, right? That's a good thing. So it, let me tell in the African way, you're just going to your ancestors. Yes, you're sad, you miss them, but you're going to see them again. And so that's the kind of joy that I can have because I understand that. And, like, uh, one of the things right now, we need a lot of sun, right? I mean, we, we sun is vitamin D. So I was sitting at, in my back, um, at my patio door, looking out into the yard. I have a very tiny backyard, getting my son looking out. And you know what I started thinking about? I was, like, going back to South Africa and Zimbabwe and remembering, and I was saying, why am I not there? Because there, everybody around me is black, and they're not, they're not, suffering this kind of stuff it's like i want to be back home there but it's like it's okay i spiritually can go back there so those are the kind of strategies that's the kind of comprehension of self that when you understand who you are as an african person you even mourn differently so that that's and i'll get out of the way because i know i said a lot of stuff i'm sorry baba go ahead (laughs) (laughs) thank you baba g Go yeah, ahead, because um, I get all caught. So, so it's interesting that um, Dr. Nunley ended with um, being out in the sun. And part of what I do um, as part of my healing experience is that every day I go out in my yard and I do gardening. So right now my yard is ablaze with flowers. I have red roses. I have... Um, white calla leaves, I have orange calla lilies, I have yellow dahlias, I have geraniums, I have red and white um red and white um dahlias, I have pink roses, I have white roses, I have red hibiscus, and then my pride and joy is that I have my avocado tree has some young avocado on it. My apple tree is full. It has lots of young um, apples on it. And then my banana squash is up, and it has the first flower 
So I should be getting banana squash within the next month. And I have lots of peppers and tomatoes in the backyard. So the backyard is where I spend most of my time if I'm not in a webinar or in a meeting. And I and so part of the healing for us is to reestablish that man-land connection, the connection between person and land that was destroyed during when we were taken away from Africa as part of the first experience of human trafficking, which some folks call the slave trade, but it was really human trafficking in which the Europeans trafficked cons to the Western Hemisphere. And so that process disrupted the continuity of the relationship between person and land, which was um, critical in understanding the philosophical foundation of African people, because once you are connected to the land, you are connected to the ancestors. And so when we came here, we recreated some of those traditions. Uh, but the most critical one was the reestablishment of this relationship with land. And so that's an important part of the healing process for me. And it also provides for nutritious uh, uh, nutritious meals because you have homegrown tomatoes, which are different in taste and smell and color from what you buy in the store. And same thing with the other produce that comes from the land in a natural form. So that's that's what I do. Yeah, that's so really I, wonderful. I think when I think Wanda, I think about people who, because maybe you don't have a backyard. I mean, maybe you don't have a home. Maybe you you're unhoused. So, but you still have the land. You're connected to the land. One of the amazing stories that one of the South Africans um, said about uh, I, I think I can't. It was a group of women that had been raped, and they were trying to get healing. And they tried to do it through using um, Western medicine. So psychologists came in, and they put them on the couch, basically, and talked to them one-on-one. These women thought that was the craziest thing ever. It's like, why am I sitting in a couch uh, in this room inside instead of outside, and I'm not with my sisters? I need to be out with my sisters in community because we're connected people, and I need to be close to the ground, which is where my, my source of everything, not on a couch inside. And she also, they needed to drum the beat. So all of these, these natural ways, so music to the ground, outdoors, all those things are healing. Now, if you need me to go Western science, there's something called the vagus nerve that gets stimulated. I mean, there, I, that's one thing I am grateful Sometimes I get angry that I'm Western trained, but because I do have Western training, when I learn the natural real stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? They, they trying to explain that as this, but they're missing spirit because in the domains, they, they say that there's just three. There's, there, there's the spiritual domain that everything comes out of. And so I can, I can explain things through Western. I can explain it through Christian but it's all the African base at the center. And so that is the beauty of being in an association like the black psychologist. You do not have to be a clinical psychologist. 
you but you must you must you must you must be a healer you must want to heal and care about your people because just because you are a psychologist you're black and you're a psychologist doesn't mean that you really care about your people you got to be a healer first and then oh and by the way i'm a social worker oh by the way i'm this or i'm that and so that's the beauty of our organization it's the journey back to self because we're kind of like many of us are kind of this broken or i don't want to say broken I, I can't wonder you're the artist you know how an art piece that it's just come apart but it can come back together so when i say broken it sounds like you can't repair so i don't you guys give me a better word because you can bring this back together and that's our purpose is to bring you back to you back to your african you because that's that wholeness the wellness that's where it's at yeah, I was just thinking um, about, you know, sort of that assemblage kind of process where, you know, you sort of take things that don't seem like they go together and you put them together, you know, these different experiences, and then you find this really wonderful work that is uh, a mixture of, of both things that were inside and other things that one might experience in in the world that, makes a person or makes the artwork that much more uh has gives it more depth and it also sort of gives it different kinds of perspectives. Um and some of that, you know, you can't you can't go to the store and buy yeah. it. You you have to live right. it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. Yes, yes. Cuz we are yeah. uh, what is uh by the way say we are African by nature. And American by nurture. So the same applies to our Canadian people, um, mm-hmm. our Ghanaian, yeah. all the other people that are participating. At the end of the day, we are African people, right. and we are spirit. Yeah. And that's what we want everybody to understand. And it looks it looks different ways. Like I said, we're simple but complex. We are not a monolithic people. We but we are connected a, a, a people a oneness. There is um, African, because it says, we, we say physically distant, but spiritually connected, African oneness. African yeah. oneness. I can't say that again. African oneness, oneness, oneness. That's where the real hope is. Everything else, mm. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Everything else is, mm. Right, yeah. Um, so let's give people that, yeah, um, and then um, definitely want you to, um, you know, go out with a story about um, the uh, Zulu Shaman, um, uh, uh, Vusa Mazulu, um, Kredo Mubwa, yeah, um, but before that, I want you to give our, give our audience the information again about, uh, about the webinar next week, the conversation, the discussion, and, and then I want to tell you that, the um, uh, Helping Our People Emerge, uh, the U.K. chapter uh, of the Association of Black Psychologists um, webinar on Friday, it looks like it's open because um, there's a link here. Um, it's, um, it is open. It is 29, open. Yeah, okay, because you said it was, because I thought you said that you could only participate if you were in the U.K., but I'm like. No, can, no the can, presenters. The oh, presenters, no, you know what? All the presenters are from the U.K. Yeah. It's just yeah, U.K. Me, presenters. No, they are. 
No, they aren't. No, that, no, they aren't. Yeah, no. All the presenters are here. No, um, uh, Dr. Um, uh, Nobles, um, both of them, um, uh, Baba Wade and, and uh, Mama uh, Vera, oh. they're, they're participating, and Dr. Theophia oh. uh, the, uh, Jackson, the National ABCI president, oh. is going to okay, be there. Okay, yeah, 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 so anyway, I just want to let people no, no, know. No, no, So, so, okay. Oh. So yeah, no, no, it is, read the we didn't mean to okay. say that it is closed. <laughs> yeah, we didn't mean to say, okay, so basically, yes, you, yes, you, uh, Mama Vera, uh, Baba Wade, that they're going to be guests on there, but the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the people who are, spe- the, the, the speech is the UK, it's the ABCI in the UK only, as opposed to other um, speakers from other places. So yes, they will be there, but they're not like how, how, like they're guests. I don't know how to better explain it, but yeah, yeah, how, how should I better explain it, Baba G? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, they're guests, they're but guests. the focus, the mm-hmm. focus is UK. Mm-hmm. They're special right. invited guests because mm-hmm. of their out their international and and Dr. Theophia Jackson is our president, so you will mm-hmm. see her, the president of our national everywhere. Chapter. Like for example, on the diaspora one we have. You're going mm-hmm. to see Dr. Theopia Jackson, and then next you will see Ron Marie from the U.K. because she's the international rep, and then you will see Tony. So it's just kind of like the protocol, and then you see the diaspora. Mm-hmm. I don't right. know if I made I maybe confused well, people. Well, more. The they, I mean, they're hosting invited. it, so it makes okay. sense yeah, but, that, yeah. you know, they would be the, the majority of the speakers or, you know, except for these special guests who are leadership in the overall organization, which is a national and global organization. So so that makes it makes sense. I just right. thought when you said it earlier, I thought, oh, we can't even go and look at it? Like, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at my flyer, oh, and I'm like, yeah, no, we no, can I'm go. Yeah, no, no, it's clear. Yeah. I'm, you know, we're making yeah, it clear I'm, now because in case other people didn't yeah, understand, like I, I didn't understand I it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank right. you, Wanda. I'm sorry. Yes, every, the, we want people to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so okay, it's 2 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On Friday. Mm-hmm. So our time, that yeah, would be I, what, 2, 1, 12, 11? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 11 Pacific Is time. Is that 11 yes. our time? 11 Pacific mm-hmm. time, yes. And it will be set up, um, I think, where you can actually, uh, there'll be a Q&A, I think. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think yeah. they're, they're, I'm not looking at the flyer. It may be designed with the Q&A. Are you, you guys looking at the flyer? Is there a Q&A? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be on Facebook Live, um, you know, face, facebook.com forward slash U-K-A-B-S-I. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, cool. Glad that we... Yeah, I just want to say I never met um, um, Credo Mutua, but I heard a lot of him from other um, members of the Barrier chapter. And the first I heard of of him was from our then president, um, Dr. Mary Hargrove from from Los Angeles. And she had Mm -hmm. talked about going to... um, South Africa and meeting with um, Baba Credo Mutua as part of her exploration of the international aspect of ABCI. Um, 
but in a sense, he was a, a Santui, and the Santui is the highest level of African healer, and he was mm-hmm. also a Sangoma, and the Sangomas are the keepers of traditional stories, and they explain philosophical and cosmological beliefs of the people. Um, in addition to keeping the stories and the knowledge to serving as the library of the lived experience of the people, the Sangomas are all they also fight illness and social pollution while maintaining immediate and constant contact with the ancestors. So in a sense the Sangoma is the bridge between the visible realm that we are in and the invisible realm of the ancestors. And through that connection, they're able to bring back to the visible realm knowledge about health and healing and ways in which one can heal themselves in this environment. So I, um, that's all I can say about him, in, just in terms of understanding what the Sangoma and the Sansui are. And they're, they're really... Um, they, they're really Keep the traditions of the people, provide a healing environment, and have immediate con- connection with the invisible realm. And so when the Sangoba transitions, it's like in the, in the visible realm, like the loss of a library because of the mm-hmm. storehouse of knowledge and information. But it's my, my understanding is, is that the Sangomas are also responsible for passing on that knowledge and tradition, etc., to the younger generation through a kind of apprenticeship of someone who would ultimately become a Sangoma. So that's my understanding of the role that Credo Mutua played. And I know that um, many of the Members of ABCI have made pilgrimages to South Africa to meet with him and discuss various aspects of health and healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, um, I've, oh, twice, I, I never got an opportunity to go visit him. Twice I had tried, and it did not happen. But Dr. Tony Jackson, um, mm-hmm. Baba, uh, Dr. Wade Nobles, uh, uh, Baba Mutwa actually gave him a ring. So, so if you really want to go in, in depth and learn more about it, we had it in our first uh, Black by Design one. We had a whole mm-hmm. tribute to him. But Dr. Wade Noble would be the one, and I'm sure he would love to. You know, he would he would come on come on and talk. And de- if you can dedicate a show to that, I mean, I could set mm-hmm. that up and you know and make sure that happens yeah. for you. Yeah, please. But yeah, he would go into mm-hmm. great detail because because. It, yeah, because the th- the thing is, it's very interesting. Um, the people in South Africa, um, sometimes you don't miss something until it's gone, because there's mm-hmm. a yeah, you know. So so it's very interesting. As soon as he transitioned, my South mm-hmm. African uh, family told me, and then I immediately told Baba Wade because I know the connection Baba Wade has to him, you know, had to him. Yes. So and continues to have to him, and so yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's so so. Yes, it's very very important. Sangoma has transitioned mm-hmm. and is now with the ancestors, but in right. his lifetime, 
he was not treated with, I mean, it's, it's, you, you know, it's just he wasn't. He wasn't and he wasn't. And sometimes you have to leave physically this, the physical realm before people understand how significant you are. And so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah, because I, I had so an opportunity. Like um, I can talk to him about Yeah, that. yeah, please. Yeah, I would because I was able to visit, um, okay, you know, the uh, the place where he had built, you know, had all these sculpted pieces, you know, that um, the 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 sort of, um, I don't know, it was almost like like a shrine. You know, we had all these really wonderful um, yeah. artwork. Yeah, I got a I chance to visit there mm-hmm. when I was in South mm-hmm. Africa, but he wasn't, you know, he didn't live um, there anymore. You know, he was somewhere else, so I didn't get a chance to meet him. And I really didn't know who he was, and, and then he passed. And I'm like, oh, and then I I saw, you know, I looked at, it's like, oh, that's that's the healer who's, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, living museum, you know, um, you know, mm-hmm. the shrine that I visited. And I was like, right. oh, wow, yeah, because they told me all about him. You know, when I visited, I'm like, oh, this is so wonderful. Yeah, and it is interesting how how people didn't understand him. Um, but he didn't let that stop him in his work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He didn't, and so. his wife, Mama Virginia, goes on. And ABCI, we actually gave him a, a an award, too. Um, but, yes, I can, I can ask uh, uh, Baba Wade, because, <laughs> like I said, uh, he gave him a ring. I mean, he can just tell you amazing stories. And I don't even want to try to try to justify him. I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to, you know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't do it justice. That's what I'm trying to say. I would not be able to do it justice. Okay, no problem, no problem. Yeah, I look forward to that. Okay, cool. Well, thank you both, um, you know, for joining us to talk about, you know, this really wonderful um, program next week and uh, next Friday. And uh, once you give our audience again the time and so they can make sure that they are, you know, sort of a part of the discussion. Okay. Um, you want to do it, Baba? Since I always mess up the little WW. So it's um, yeah. <laughs> Friday, June 5th. Friday, June 5th, um, 1 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which would be 4 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So folks on the East Coast can join us at that time, and then folks in the the Pacific region can join us at that time. Um, And you can join us live on Facebook um, through the ABCI Facebook page, and that would be on the flyer. And the flyer would be um, posted on the ABCI webpage, and we're distributing it uh, to various email list, etc. Okay, excellent, excellent. And you'll be able um, to just click they... on the link once we do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah. And are there are there any other, um, you know, webinars that you would like to highlight um, that um, people might want to be aware of? Because I have a few that I'm going to announce um, after our conversation. But do you have any that you want to highlight? Um, well, we have the UK uh, one do, coming the, up. Uh, uh, the one with Tony. What's the one with Tony? Come, you know, the uh, for Africa Day. Um, it's with Dr. Grills 
Dr. Tony and Dr. Uh, Rose. Uh, Christy, I don't yeah, have I don't, you, you, know, don't you know what I'm talking that, about? I don't have that flyer yet. No. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about, but I don't have a flyer have for it. it. Okay. Well, there's a there's a webinar to today. So, um, hmm. You made today's the 25th, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, there's you, a. You go I ahead. Tell you, go ahead. Um, yeah, there's one happening. There there are quite a few, um, but there's one happening today, and it's um, it's uh, let me make it bigger. Yeah, it's called trauma and the African-American health experience, and it's today from 3 to 4 Eastern time, and so that's, uh, you say, 11 to 12 Pacific time, and it's featuring um, uh, Ms. Harriet A. Washington, who is a a lecturer, and she's the award-winning medical writer and author of Medical Apartheid, and Dr. Cheryl T. Grills, who's the director yes. of Psychology okay. Applied Research Center of That's um, mm-hmm. uh, I can't read this. Uh, is it Bellamy? Um I can't College of Liberal Arts. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's at Lo- yeah, Loyola Marymount University of Los Angeles. Yeah. And so um so that's gonna be really great mm-hmm. and so I have a link to that on my website. So that's today, and then um, got a couple of more. There's a lot happening, and uh, and then uh, tomorrow there is a uh, webinar: Black Women in Higher Education in Prison, and that is um, 9 a.m. Eastern time. So that's pretty early our time, <laughs> and uh, and that is. Um, uh, Yes. Um, <clears throat> so the different the different sessions is, is like a, um, a it's like a little mini conference. So the floor opens at 9:30, and then there's higher education policy, and then there's decolonizing the prison classroom. Oh no, no, you can go to them all. They're one after another, and then the politics of black womanhood in higher education in prison, and then liberation activism and service and. Uh, higher education in prison. That's when it ends. So it's a three-hour conference, mini conference, and the guest speakers are Dr. Bria Bria uh, Willingham, associate professor of criminal justice at SUNY uh, Plattsburgh, and Dr. Brittany Gatewood, adjunct professor of sociology at George Washington University, and Dr. Bahia Muhammad, assistant professor of criminology at Howard University, and Dr. Aaron Corbett co-founder and CEO of Second Chance Education Alliance Incorporated, and Satra D. Taylor, higher education policy and analyst uh, at the Education Trust. And um, and so I'll, I have this posted on my website as well. And then um, the last one I have right here is on Friday as well, this Friday, and it is um, – Inclusion in Time of COVID-19, Confronting Slavery's Legacy of Racism Together. And that's a webinar co-organized by UNESCO and the United Nations Department of Global Communications. And the speakers include um, Mahir Nasser, Director Director Outreach Division, Department of Global Communications, the United Nations in New York. Lisa Coleman, Senior Vice President for Global Inclusion, Diversity, and Strategic Innovation at New York University in New York, 
uh, Yoan Lopez, project manager of in charge of memory, racism, and anti-Semitism at City of uh, Bordeaux. Bordeaux. Uh, Maria Elisa Velasquez Gutierrez, former president of UNESCO Slave Root Project International Scientific Committee, and she's in Mexico City. Um, Webster, hip-hop artist and lecturer in Montreal, and Angela Melo, Director of Policies and Programs, Social and Human Sciences Sector, UNESCO in Paris. And, um, oh, that's that's tomorrow, sorry. I thought it was Friday, but it's tomorrow. 10 a.m. Um, Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Central Time. And I guess, um, let's see, if it's 10 a.m. Eastern Time, is it, what time is it, Pacific Time? <laughs> is it eight, three hours? Eight, eight. Is it seven? No, it's ten a.m. Their time is seven. That's seven. Seven, seven, seven our time. Seven, two, two. Yeah, seven Pacific seven time. Yeah. Okay, seven o'clock. So yeah. that's tomorrow. So it's like a lot happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? The, um, I want to say on the the one the one that, that that's happening today, from one mm-hmm. to two with Harry, yeah. Doctor Washington, and Doctor Grill. That is like. Yeah. Um, that's so exciting because, yeah, I, I just have to tell this really, really short story. I remember when I was mm-hmm. teaching at Mills, and I was, um, uh, and these, I was a teacher educator. So I'm introducing um, medical apartheid, which is Dr. Harriet Washington's concept. And I'm yeah. teaching this to my students, and one of my students said, Dr. Nunley, you're just making that up. That's not even real. I was so offended, right? Oh, because I don't believe yeah. you said that to a white professor. And so I said, mm-hmm. I'll calm myself down. And I said, no. And I said, next week I'll bring you the book, right? But for me to have to justify, I was like, whoa, whoa. Because mm-hmm. it was, and yeah, so I guess it, it, she's like, no way that they're not doing, that can't be. You're just saying that because you're black and you're making stuff up. Yeah, so. Wow. Yeah, anyway. Wow. Yeah, so, huh. so yeah. So medical apartheid, that is so serious. And Dr. Washington, she did her work. But you know what? It's interesting because the same thing when I worked on my dissertation at Mill, mm-hmm. and I and I had post-traumatic slave syndrome in there. Um, yes. My my I, I was I challenged with that, and again because mm. I know ABC, ABC, I got to meet Joy, Doctor Degru, and I told her, and she because I, I started with ABC when I was still a student, and she was like, "What do you want me to call them? I've done my homework." So over, over, over and over again, what happens, even when we go to their institutions and we do the work in the way that they think is science, you know, evidence-based, it feels like mm-hmm. and it's very, very mm-hmm. cool. It's wrong, but it's like, it's okay. It's okay. Because we're doing this to right. save our people, not for them. Not for them. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I want to thank so, you I'm both gonna... so much for, for joining you. us today to talk you about, did. you know, the so work of A.B. Yeah, and yeah, thank um, you, thank you for having. Me. Oh no problem. Thanks for letting me know, and thanks for saying yes to the invitation. And yes, I definitely would love for you to facilitate a conversation with uh, with Baba Novos. Yes, that would be super. Okay, no, I'm not gonna point him your way, and I'll let him know that. Can you do? Well, this when you ask yes, him, yes. he all he says yes to you. So it's like that'll be really cool. Oh, okay. Cause I, cause I okay. ask and all it right, doesn't happen. Do 
So yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what? And don't take. You know what? You know what? Don't don't take. He's just so busy. Don't take it personal. He's busy. But it's like the bothers. They're kind of like my daddies. I mean, like I even when I graduated there at my graduation. I mean, you know. So I'm like, we're like real family, family too. So that's what it mm. is. So when I ask, it feels like his his biological daughter. Although he, everybody's beloved. He he, he loves us all. But yeah, no problem. I got you. No problem. Okay, thank you. All righty, we all take care. Good luck on all of that writing, uh, Dr. Goddard, that you are doing. Yes, Looking forward to an article next month, sometime, or maybe July. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the um, the program next week. It's going to be really awesome. Yes. yes, thank okay. you. Thank you again, my sister. Thanks a lot. All right. Um, the, uh, bye. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. You take good care. Peace and blessings. So we are going to, um, I was going to play something from the archives, and um, yeah, I was thinking about playing uh, We Are More Than Ebola, because I haven't heard that particular um, program in a while, but I'm thinking um, of maybe uh, playing a song in the meantime, and I was thinking, like, what song am I going to play? Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to play um, Bobby Hutcherson, uh, I don't know, Tranquility. That sounds beautiful. So I think I'm going to play um, Tranquility by Bobby Hutcherson. And, and then I will jump right into um, a rebroadcast of something from the archives.
Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and culture program with the African <clears throat> Sisters Media Network. And we're joined in the studio with two um, uh, esteemed people who are doing some work around um, sort of doing some education work around around the Ebola virus. And there's this great program that's going to be happening in Oakland next week called Africa is More Than Ebola. So I want to introduce my two guests, Clementine. Clementine, how do you pronounce your last name? Nsekala. Nsekala? Yes, that's pretty close, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> pretty close, okay. Well. <laughs> All right, and, and and Clementine is the program coordinator um, for um, Africa Advocacy Network, uh, one of the presenters of this program that I mentioned uh, that's happening next week. Uh, she's originally from Democratic Republic of the Congo, or the DRC. She's fluent in English, obviously, uh, French and Lingala. <laughs> she holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Politics and a minor in Sociology from uh, UC. Uh, is that Santa Cruz? Yes. Okay, nice place. Great folks there. Like Angela yeah. Davis's program, History of Consciousness. Like, ooh. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a nice place to ride your bike, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was reading that you're currently in your last year of a master's program in public administration at San Francisco State University. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just finished my class um, done last night. Last night? Oh, wow. How'd you do? Yes. <laughs> How do you think you did? Well, I feel pretty good and relieved. At this mm-hmm. point, I'm just hoping for the best. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, we definitely going to send a lot of light and love your way. Of course you do. Yeah. Well. Uh, <laughs> so Ms. Clementine holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Politics and a minor in Sociology. Uh, as I already mentioned, she most recently worked as an event and outreach researcher for the Center on Contemporary Conflict at the Naval Postgraduate School. Where is that? In Monterey. Oh, okay, okay. You like it down there by the water, huh? Santa Cruz, Monterey. Yes. <laughs> and now the San Francisco Bay. We got water here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and you coordinate um, uh, Africa Advocacy Network's activities, including fundraising, grant writing, outreach, and communication, and direct assistance to clients. So welcome, yes. welcome. Thank you, thank so, you, thank you for having you're welcome. me. You're welcome. Oh, I'm happy that you could fit me into your busy schedule, considering you know yeah. the stresses that you're under presently, academically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Srinam uh, Shamsunder, uh, our illustrious physician guest, uh, completed his residency in internal medicine at Harbor uh, UCLA Medical Center in June of 2008. As a physician who trained at a public hospital and provided has provided medical care abroad, Sri is interested in the de- delivery of comprehensive health care in resource-poor settings. In addition to his clinical work training medical students and residents on the medical services service at UC San Francisco, he spends much of his time abroad. In 2009, Sri spent five months in rural Burundi and Rwanda with the organization Village Health Works and Partners in Health. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, I, lo- I know Partners in Health. They're great. <laughs> um, providing comprehensive primary and HIV care, as well as designing innovative clinical programs. Following the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, 
Haiti, he led a group of Harvard surgeons in western Haiti or Haiti providing medical and surgical care in the immediate aftermath of the disaster. In 2012, he was a Fulbright uh, Nehru scholar to India studying innovations of care among tribal health organizations throughout rural India. In the last several years, he has split his time between UC San Francisco, Liberia, Haiti, and India. Currently, he is co-founder of HEAL, H-E-A-L, initiative, which aims to support workforce capacity in limited resource settings, both in the United States and internationally. So welcome, Sri. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So I don't know how you all want to go with regards to um, talking about the program and talking about the press conference on December 3rd and talking about Ebola and how Africa is more than Ebola, certainly. Um, and and so anyway, I don't know, how do we want to start, Clementine? Do you want to tell our audience about the program and then we can talk about, you know, what is Ebola? Um, yes, you know, I think that um, the way that we have talked um about Ebola, especially in um, partnership with Dr. Shrim, is that, you know, I have mainly talked about um, the stigma and the community uh, realities, and uh, Dr. Shrim has talked about the medical, because I feel like one of the causes of this uh, spread of the stigma is the lack of direct communication and involvement of communities. So that's kind of like what we have been trying to do. So we can definitely start by just talking a little bit about the African community in the Bay Area and then uh, proceeding to talk about uh, Ebola, the press conference we had on Wednesday, and Dr. Sheree will talk on the medical side of um, Ebola and his work in Africa. Sure, but why don't you tell our audience about the program that you, that's coming up so they can make sure they're there. Yes, so on um, December 13th, um, the African Advocacy Network, in um, partnership with uh, Priority Africa Network in Oakland, uh, we are co-sponsoring an event on Ebola. And uh, this will be a follow-up on the press conference we just had on Wednesday. And uh, this will be more community-based, community-centered. And we are hoping to have um, a high turnout from community leaders in the African community. But it's also um, open to the general public and the media interested in seeing how the African community is coming together to deal with the stigma that our community members have been um, facing. So that's December 13th um, in Oakland, and you can log into the African Advocacy Network website or at Priority African Network website for more information, and um, we also will have the flyer available on our website. So where is the event going to be taking place and what time is it? Um, it actually will be taking place in um, Oakland. Let me just pull the flyer. Was, you know, since I know the office, I go there without actually remembering <laughs> exactly where um, the office is. But I will uh, provide that information um, during the show. Okay. All right. Super. 
Okay. So it's now it's now the time when we talk about um <laughs> what is Ebola? Sure. And, yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Just want to make sure we have the dance correct. Um yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, and also um you know sort of um sort of the, how what's going on with regards to the capacity building around um these various countries being able to uh to handle the the virus as well as um uh prevent it from from spreading. Sure. So um just as way of background Ebola is a it's a virus that was I think first discovered um in in the 1970s like 1976 in Zaire and since then you know it's, there's been several outbreaks that are mostly rural uh mostly in poor populations and um by far the 2014 West African outbreak is has been the, you know, by far the biggest outbreak and, and has moved into the capital cities in, you know, the predominantly the three major uh, countries that are affected are Guinea, Sierra Leone, and, and Liberia, and a, and a couple other countries that have uh, have been involved like Mali and Nigeria and and the United States and, and Spain, but uh, you know. When we think about uh, Ebola, uh, it's it is a virus, and there's a lot of medical, um, you know, medical pathophysiology that I could talk about the virus. But uh, it's really the the epidemic that we're seeing is a symptom of very poor public health systems in the three most affected countries. So if you look at um, Nigeria, for example, Nigeria had Ebola and has eradicated it. They had about 16 or 17 cases, and they uh, were able to spend a tremendous amount of money, track down all the contacts of the cases, and essentially eradicate uh, the disease from their country. And in, in Liberia and Sierra Leone and, and Guinea, that hasn't been the case. And if you look at Liberia, where we've worked for four or five years are uh you know up to this point and partner with the the government there as well as a a local organization they had about 50 public health workers for uh, public health doctors for a population of 5 million people before the this outbreak happened so uh you know the amount of health prof- professionals uh that were there to kind of take on um, the Ebola was very, very minimal. And in the United States, in comparison, you know, there's um, something like uh, three three doctors for every thousand people, um, and there's a hundred and seventy-two fold difference between the United States and and uh, and Liberia. So I think that. Uh, we're seeing uh, Ebola thrive in these countries where the public health system and the infrastructure, you know, when we talk about um, the things needed to fight Ebola, it's really space, systems, staff, um, 
you know, and stuff essentially. And if you don't have the systems and the stuff and the and the staff to really address it, you're gonna have the reality that we're seeing uh, with this West African outbreak in 2014. So um how how are these um the deficits um given the economies of, of these nations that are hardest hit, how how are they how is this being addressed? Um how can people help that don't have skills? <laughs> sure. So I think that, you know, there's the short term response and there's the the long term response. I think what Clementine is was saying, um of involving communities that's that's important whether you're talking about the bay area or you're talking about liberia and so you know in in the short term i think it it is important to have the ebola treatment units up and running in places all around all around the countries of the three most affected areas and you know when we talk about Ebola, I think a lot of people just assume that it's a death sentence, but, you know, if you look at uh, the expats that were infected with Ebola and came to the United States, the, the death rate is not that high. You know, we had Mr. Duncan in Dallas that that died, and a lot of the nurses and a lot of the physicians that were infected actually um, got better. And so when Ebola comes up against modern medical care, I think we don't know what the mortality rate is going to be. And so in this outbreak, it's been 65 70% of people that actually get infected with Ebola die from Ebola. But we are starting to see, I just got an email from uh, my fellow that works, you know, at, with me at UCSF. She's on the ground in Rivercrest County in uh, Liberia and uh, the Ebola treatment unit there just had uh, eight people that were infected with the virus. Six of them walked out completely mm-hmm. cured and uh, essentially, you know, was a for the community to see that that six people spread the message that if you come to the Ebola treatment unit, if you have good care, you have a good chance of getting better, I think that's a very powerful message uh, from, you know, for the community. And uh, up until, uh, you know, whether it's the HIV virus or it's Ebola, if you don't have options for care, why would, you know, why would a population or why would anybody go and seek care in a place that you feel isolated, that everybody's, you know, wearing masks and it feels like a cold environment and you end up not having any better chance of survival. So what we're trying to do in these uh, countries is really set up the short-term infrastructure to respond to Ebola and then the long-term response that, you know, whether it's Ebola or malaria or tuberculosis, we need kind of the staff, the systems and the stuff to really um, stop uh, these things from killing uh, people when they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is this um, a part of the work that you're doing through HEAL or, or you know, sort of developing capacity in under-resourced um, areas of the world and country, this country as well as the mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that that's correct. I think that, that the the Heal Initiative is really a long term longitudinal um capacity building effort. So we know that there's not enough health professionals in uh places that need them most. We know that um you know the the ninety percent of the world uh face kind of these the burden of disease, but all the medicines and uh, a lot of the health professionals are concentrated amongst the, you know, 10% wealthiest. So, you know, we call that the 90-10% divide. And so um, we know that there's not enough health professionals in, in very poor places. And so our goal is for the Americans that want to work in those places, it's not you know, it's not enough to kind of uh, show up in Haiti or show up in, in Burundi or Rwanda or Liberia and say, you know, I'm well-meaning and I want to be uh, out of help. You need specific training. And for the health professionals, health professionals, our Liberian colleagues, our Rwandan colleagues, our, you know, um, those colleagues, how do we... Uh, give them the support to stay in the public health systems to really uh, have the skill sets to do the work that they're trained to do and want to do. You know, a lot of them are exceptionally committed, you know, even in this outbreak at the risk of uh, death and and so many uh, health professionals dying. Uh, Our colleagues in Liberia show up day after day after day, and they need the equipment, they need the training to really do the work that they they are committed to do. And so our goal is to support Americans that want to do this work by doing it well and thoughtfully and with the approach that is historically based and uh, understands the local context and then support health professionals that... Um, want to do this work that are from those countries so that they aren't part of the brain drain where, you know, they're so frustrated that they're in a public health system and they don't have the opportunities to practice their 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 craft in a in a meaningful way to improve their career prospects and and really grow in their uh their specialty or their field and they end up leaving to South Africa or Canada or England or the United States and so that's what Heal Initiative is trying to uh address. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Clementine, why don't you talk a little bit about um Africa Advocacy Network and, and what's happening with families here who have families in, you know, the affected com- countries specifically, um, you know, Liberia, Guinea, and um, uh, Sierra Leone. Um, and I know that in the uh, press conference, I noticed that there was a person who was um, going to speak about stigma. Yes. Yes, so um, briefly I will introduce um, the work that the African Advocacy Network does um, and African community in the Bay Area. So um, the African Advocacy Network uh, was founded in 2009, and we provide direct legal and social services to Africans and Afro-Caribbeans in San Francisco and the wider Bay Area. And um, actually, I spent the summer in the Democratic Republic of Congo doing an internship. And while I was there, I was aware of the of Ebola in Liberia and Guinea. 
and even being in Africa in the DRC, I felt like Ebola, I was aware of the distance and the locality of Ebola being in those three countries as opposed to being in the DRC. So coming back to the States in late August, um, I still associated Ebola being in Africa. And uh, once we had the first case in October, I still had that sense that Ebola was very centered in Africa. But then I started um, getting calls from community members um, sharing their stories. And at first, I just assumed that uh, the stigma was more prevalent in the East Coast since they have larger African and Afro-Caribbean communities. But um, once we started getting calls, when um, we started having conversations with other African communities and churches to see if they have seen any changes in their communities, and from those conversations, um, in addition to the gentleman you mentioned who spoke at the press conference, we have also heard stories from um, African business owners whose businesses are affected because people are afraid to go to their care places because they're associating them with Ebola. And um, about two weeks ago, I spent an entire day at a hair braiding place in Oakland. Um, before the stigma of Ebola, this particular place um, used to see two to three clients per day. But braiding is pretty time-consuming, so two to three is uh, a lot. And on weekends, you know, she had upward of four to five, which allowed her to... Um, have two to three employees, but on that particular day that I spent, she had two customers, and the two customers so, um, bought two pieces of jewelry, which you know, which were pretty uh, inexpensive. And I, while I was there, since she didn't have any clients, I decided to get my hair braided. And at the end of the day. If I did not go to get my hair done, that business would only have generated $25 for the entire day. And this, she's, this is not the only business. I've talked to three other hair braiding places in Berkeley and in Oakland, and they are telling me the same story. Even here in San Francisco, um, another hair braiding salon owner has told me that people are asking her, where are you from? When was the last time you went home? Um, how often does your family visit you? All those questions that they've never had to face before until now. And just yesterday, your, um, a client saw a uh, an article in the Chronicle about the press conference that took place on Wednesday, she called me and told me about her experience with um, Kaiser Permanente. She's um, originally from the Ivory Coast. She's six months pregnant, and she was just sharing with me that every time that she goes to Kaiser, 
for her monthly checkup, they always ask her, have you traveled to West Africa? When was the last time you went to Africa? And even when she hands them her card visit, they don't take it from her. They ask her to swipe the card. And when she complained to her doctor, the doctor simply told her, oh, this is just a policy that we have in place against Ebola. We do it to everyone. But based on her feedback, she's only noticed them asking Africans to swipe their cards and not other patients who are not African or can be assumed to be African. So what we're seeing really is, you know, people being mistreated in receiving services, but also people being mistreated and as a result are losing jobs and are potentially losing the ability to get jobs because we are only aware of the stories of people who have come forward. We don't know what is truly happening to people who are keeping silent. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so hmm. that's why we really, um, you know, we put the story out there, but really, um, you know, going back to the upcoming event on December 13th, this is really uh, it's a community town hall, and we'll have a panel discussion and community forum. And it's taking place at um, the, Afri- the Priority African Network office at 6501 Telegraph Avenue in Oakland, California. And it's from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Um, light refreshments will be provided at 3 and the event will start with an interfaith um, prayer. And the panelists for the event will be uh, Dr. Sharim, who is with us today, and uh, Salome Lema, who is the founder of Africans in Diaspora and AfricaResponse.org, and Chief Joseph Musa from the Ingloma Sierra Leone community, and Vukani Mawutu Choir, and again, this event is co-sponsored by the African Advocacy Network, um, African Communities Together, Black Alliance for Just Immigration, Global Exchange, the Global Fund for Women, Inga Congolese Community, and the National Development Exchange Organization of African Students at UC Berkeley, the Gloma Sierra Leone Community, USA for Africa, and U.S. Africa Network. So it's truly a coming together of different African communities. So please uh, join us if you can. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, it's quite quite impressive, um, the uh, the various organizations that have come together, um, you know, to talk about, about this um this crisis, this uh, health crisis that is affecting not just, you know, health, but it's also affecting the economies of of Africans, not just in Africa, but throughout the diaspora. And um, I wanted to also give people the phone number for um, uh, Priority Africa Network. It's uh, Erico 510 
uh, 510-652-1493, and I believe this event is free, right, because I don't see a price anywhere. Yes. Okay. It is free. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Now, we want want uh, it to be accessible. uh Uh-huh. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and PriorityAfrica.org is um, another way you can um, see the lovely flyer. Uh, and give your, your website again, um, uh, Clementine. Um, the African Advocacy Network's website is aansf.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so how, how does one um, uh, contract Ebola? How, how is it spread? Um, is it casual contact or is it more um, invasive than that? So uh, I think uh, it is very much more invasive than that. Um, you you look at who's been uh, most affected by the Ebola virus in, in West Africa. It's really caregivers, health professionals that are exposed to body fluids and um, caretakers that are, you know, mostly women and uh, and family members that are taking care of of the the ill that are infected with Ebola. So, you know, the there's a couple studies that have that have come out. You know, there's one in uh, a very well-renowned journal called the New England Journal of Medicine that uh, looked at you know a lot of the the Guinea outbreak and patients without. Uh, fevers that, or even low-grade fevers, did not have, you know, were not infectious. So we know that the Ebola virus is not, un- unless you're, uh, unless you have a fever and you're, and you're uh, starting to get uh, quite sick, you're you're not infectious. So people without fevers um, are not are not infectious, and then the sicker that you get, the more infectious you are. So uh, Mr. Duncan, who was in the Dallas hospital, exposed uh, a lot of uh, health professionals and and various people the first time he came into uh, the hospital, and none of those people uh, got infected with the Ebola virus. So it's really like vomit, uh, a lot of saliva, diarrhea, those kinds of things uh, have a lot of the Ebola virus, but casual contact, uh, you know, is is just not going to be the way that you transmit. And uh, a lot of people that are sick enough to transmit the virus are not healthy enough to go out in public. So, um, you know, it's it, you're you're not going to catch it uh, uh, like that. But I, I think. You know the the Kaiser example. Um, you know, my wife is is pregnant right now, and and uh, I think that uh, and she we go to Kaiser, and and they ask her as well about the the uh, 21 days. So I think the incubation period period is 21 days. That if you've been in West Africa, and I think that uh, we need to not bulk all Africans into. Uh, recent travel to West Africa, and I think it, it is reasonable to to question health professionals or people that have recently been to the three most effective areas. And I think our 
you know, our government is is screening people through five countries, and there's a lot of provisions to to uh, by public health officials to really watch people that have any exposure risk. And I think what we're seeing in the Bay Area is kind of a uh, you know a, a paranoia that is not helpful and actually hurting people's businesses. Uh, but from the public health infrastructure, I think, you know, at UCSF and at Kaiser, um, we we do need to know if people have recently been to West Africa and had fevers um, that that can definitely keep our population safe. But I think this, this idea of hair braiders uh, transmitting the virus is, is completely unfounded. And I think that kind of stigma um, not only hurts businesses and hurts the African diaspora, but is potentially dangerous for, you know, the, the the spread of the virus where there is kind of misinformation and ignorance about how it's spread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Wow. That's really something um, that someone wouldn't take your, your credit card a couple of times if you had to swipe it yourself. Yeah. I mean, they claim it's a policy, which I do understand, <laughs> but when you observe that other clients are not being treated the same way, then you start to wonder, am I being treated mm-hmm. like this because I am African? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I, I think that that is, you know, like that, you, when I was, I was in med school when 9-11 hit, and it's this continuous, you know, I'm a, a dark-skinned person with a, a bald head and a goatee, and, you know, it's just, it becomes this, even if it's for legitimate reasons, there's this second-guessing because there there is this level of, of being stigmatized and in, in numerous places. So legitimate concern ends up, uh, you know, making you feel, like it's not legitimate, and I, I think that's that's where stigma is really um, painful and and really hurts because even even legitimate concerns for public health reasons are are, uh, are approached with suspicion because that there's so much stigma that is completely unfounded, and and so I, I think that that you know it might not be a great analogy like. Uh, you know the 9/11 paranoia with terrorism that a lot of uh, young Muslim and South Asians faced in in Ebola with West Africa, but I think that that it uh, it has some parallels. Oh yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm, certainly. Yeah, um, I was wondering um, uh, in closing if if uh, if you all could speak to um, just sort of the spirituality. Um, connection with with healing um you know western medicine is um in you know how western medicine is um being i guess um utilized uh in in other healing systems because um different communities have 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 healing um modalities and methodologies that are not completely um, in sync all the time with Western medicine, um, and and I think overall the health of a community is best when when this is recognized and 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 the strengths of both are used t- 
to optimize, you know, whatever sickness there might be. And I was wondering how how you work that um, in in your um, uh, in infrastructure building. And then, secondly, my second question is. Once again, those of us here in, in you know the Bay Area and throughout the country that have no skills, like I'm not a doctor, but I'm concerned, and and I want to know like how can we help, like you know sort of get these um, uh, you know protective clothing and gloves and you know maybe fund a, a physician that wants to go but can't afford it. And I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if such a physician exists. But anyway, I was just wondering how how we could help. You know, um, in these various places where um, the reason why the disease is moving like it's moving is because there's not enough money, you know, within the government to be able to adequately address this this illness. Sure, I can I can start with the second question, and sometime maybe you can uh, talk about local uh, healing traditions, and I can speak to that as well. But I. We partner with uh, the Ministry of Health in uh, in Liberia, and we work with their organization Last Mile Health, and their organization are, is accepting donations, and I think would be a great organization to donate um, for the long term. Um, we talked about the Heal Initiative, so there's a a our website is you know healinitiative.org, and we're actually running kind of a a crowdfunding campaign that you, if okay. if you're so inclined, you could uh, donate to that. That would kind of help this capacity building effort uh, for Ebola and other diseases. Um, and uh, yeah, Clementine, if you want to talk about uh, some of the the local healing traditions, but from my perspective, I think um, there it's not. It's not either or. It's always kind of an and because if if uh, we as uh, Western trained uh, American doctors kind of come in and impose certain uh, ways of looking at health, like your your patient population will essentially um, just you know say that they're not going to traditional healers, but you know, all of them uh, are, and you need to kind of collaborate and work with uh, with them because they they can they can work kind of side by side. And I think there's been places that we've worked in 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 Haiti and and in India um, that there's a relationship that forms where there's there's certain things that the traditional healer takes on and the patient community feels very comfortable with, and they're the traditional healer will kind of refer some uh, some very complicated cancers or infections that they they feel like they can't handle, and and so there becomes kind of this collaboration instead of this antagonism because a lot of these uh, communities have deep traditions of of healing that uh, you know I may not be trained in and may not understand, but uh, have. Uh, have validity and need to work side by side with some of the the Western approaches that that we're trained in. Yeah, and you know, just uh, I guess on um, the community side, um, you know, since I also am not uh, medically trained, um, the only part that I can speak of is at least um, here. Um, a lot of 
recent African immigrants um, that we've seen at our organization um, have a mistrust, have an intent mistrust of um, the medical institutions, and I feel like part of that is also based on the fact that we don't have has um, many medical or established um, adequate infra uh, medical infrastructures in um, African countries. I mean, I can speak for the Democratic Republic of Congo because that's um, where I was born and recently visited. And um, how this um, is uh, affecting our ability to deal with Ebola um, is <clears throat> is that we uh, need to work on educating the public and working with people to encourage them to get involved in organizations like uh, the HAIL Initiative, which in addition to providing um, medical staff, they also promote the use of um, basic chlorine uh, to wash hands or, you know, using gloves, like little things that the rest of us here can directly contribute to either the HEAL initiative or um, other organizations that are also participating in the Ebola community town hall on December 13th, uh, like the AfricaResponse.org um, are doing all those different efforts to try to really get communities here to organize and contribute directly to efforts taking place in Africa. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, one thing that that I'll I'll say is that it it would be great if the the African diaspora kind of engages with uh, health professionals that are trying to do this work in you know whether it's Liberia or Rwanda and because mm -hmm. you know it's there's there's no it's there's no uh if you look at the history there there's no it's 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 obvious why people are deeply skeptical about white people coming to Africa and even if they're not white uh Americans coming and and the history of kind of western involvement in a lot of these countries is not exactly you know uh shining and so the deep suspicion i think is uh, is very much warranted, and and so we have to kind of uh, we have to kind of shift that that conversation. And and we saw in Guinea where health workers were attacked um, from by the community. And unless there's kind of deep engagement and trust with and relationship building with the community in the long term, you know, it it doesn't matter how good our medical care is and how modern it is if, if that trust is not there, you know. And I, I think um, one of the things with the HEAL initiative that we would really encourage is if there's, there's African diaspora members or people that are still deeply engaged in, in some of the countries that we work in that could help guide our, our work because, uh, you know, I think it, it is kind of a interdisciplinary across 
boundaries conversation, and it's really, uh, you know, 80% of this work is relationship building, because, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow, this is um this has been a, a really really wonderful conversation, and unfortunately, I'm going to be out of town next week, so I'm not going to be able to come. Um, but hopefully, we'll be able to continue the conversation. And uh, I went to the website for uh, Last Mile Health, and um, and uh, definitely um, going to make sure that people know about that particular um, organization. Because all you know, when people want to make donations, it's kind of hard to find like the right organization that's community-based and grassroots. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm really happy to have this recommendation for Last Mile, as well as you know the HealInitiative.org, because you know we know where you live, you know, Sheree, <laughs> and so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we could like get you know regular updates and things like that. And your website is just simply fabulous um, with the stories and the photos and all that. Both of them are so, and as well as you know what you've been doing um, at Africa Advocacy uh, Network, which has been around for a minute now. Um, I remember having uh, the director on quite some time ago, so it's really yeah. great. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I met him at um, I think it was. Um, Priority Africa Network event. Oh man, it was too long ago. It was, uh, yeah, it was great. So, so I'm really happy, you know, that we're having this conversation. Um, you know, as a, as a diaspora citizen uh, myself, you know, I'm always happy to to find out, you know, from the people that are on the ground, sort of what's going on. And I hadn't hadn't realized that the stigma that uh, you know continental Africans were experiencing, you know, just in in the marketplace. Because of Ebola, like wow. Yes. That yeah yeah, and I, I mean, think the parallel with nine eleven. Mhm. Yeah, and I think the parallel with nine eleven is is quite apropos because I remember, um, you know, like everyone, Latinos, South Asians, like everybody was suspect <laughs> um, mm-hmm. at 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 one time you know, right afterwards as being a terrorist. And, you know, I still, I'm still on list because of my name. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you both so much for joining us and, continue, you know, good, good, um, you know, continued uh, success in your, in your great work. And, again, I'd love to have you on again to talk about, um, give us an update on what's going on and, um, and in other ways that we can be a, uh, of assistance those of us that are concerned, and hopefully that's everyone. Yes, for sure. I mean, thank you for having us, Wanda. Oh, you're quite welcome. You all take good care. Thank you, Wanda. You're welcome. Peace and blessings. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So we are going to, um, I was going to play a little bit of an interview that I, I had with, <laughs> with Latanya Tigner um, talking about the Rise of Passage um, program at Dimensions uh, Dance. It is 20 years old um, uh, this year, and there's a special program on Sunday um, at Castle Mott High School. And so we don't have a whole lot of time to share, but I'm going to give you about 13 minutes before our next guest join us. And if you want to hear the entire interview um, that was on our Wednesday program, we had a special time. It was 9 o'clock. So you can hear the entire interview with this wonderful uh, artist and teacher and mentor, uh, Latanya Tigner. 
program of the African Sisters Media Network, and this is uh, Gina Breedlove, Breathe. We're going to finish listening to that, and then we have a wonderful guest, Tanya Latigna. Uh, Tanya, Tanya she's going to be talking to us about the rights of... 